This is Top Floor episode 49. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 49. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show. If you have ever rented a beach chair from that really tan kid running back and forth on the sand, then you are familiar with what David Stange spent about the first decade or so of his career doing. At age 14, his dad kicked him off the couch and into what would eventually become a Series B startup with more than $12 million in funding. David is the founder of Beachy, an app he created to modernize the process of renting beach chairs. When David and Beachy won the People's Choice Award at this year's E20X pitch competition at High Tech, I knew that he was just the type of hospitality disruptor we had to invite on the show. David and I also have been living parallel lives, so we are going to get into some of those details as well. But before we jump in, we need to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals with burning questions. If you would like to submit a question, you can call or text me at 850-404-9630. Today's question was submitted by Paul. How long should I spend working on my startup before raising money? I have a great idea, but no clue how to start fundraising. All right, David, what do you think? Ah, uh, man, thinking about the way that we did it at Beachy and and now looking back, you know, five years later, yeah, we raised money right away. I mean, immediately before we even had a product. And the reason why is because I don't know how to write code. I'm not a software engineer, so we needed to hire someone immediately. Yeah, fortunately for us, we've met some really talented people. And I'll never forget sitting in Hattie B's and convincing this guy. I was in Nash, living in Nashville at the time and had met this guy. His name's Josh. And we talked for an hour convincing Josh to leave his very high paying, you know, software engineering job and take a chance on a startup. And well, the crazy part of it was Josh and I's story. You know, so many people have such a similar story about, you know, going to the beach and having a bad experience. So we raised money right away. I would say, I mean, if you know how to write code or you've got a brother that knows how to write code, I would get to an MVP and, and have a minimal viable product before you know you take it to the market to raise money. You know, it will certainly save you some equity points on the back end. There's so many cool stories out there with, you know, like I, I think uh, you know, a guy, I think it was DoorDash, but he was a just a high net worth individual and he invested like two hundred grand in a DoorDash and I don't think he sold any of it. And I think when they went public, it was worth like two hundred million dollars. So like, you know, telling people those kinds of stories and saying this could be the next, you know, billion dollar idea. Absolutely. The one thing I would add to that is um to your point about equity on the back end, you don't have to fundraise for every business and every idea. 
So mm-hmm. if you can make a minimum viable product without raising money and without having to give up equity in your business, that may be something to think about as well. Just because you have a startup does not mean you have to go for VC money and you know give away part of your business. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not a rule. <laughs> you don't have to do it that way. Yeah, and I mean like we were and we were fortunate and that this wasn't, you know, my first rodeo wasn't my co-founder's first rodeo. Um, we put a million dollars of our own money into the business before we ever showed it to anybody. I saw a business that I was reading about this week valued at one point five billion dollars. Um, the founders are now on paper worth five hundred million each, and the company does less than one million revenue. You know, exactly. you're just like, <laughs> like you know, that, that's that's first of all. I mean, like, I guess good for them; they were able to get it. But you know, I, I think that we should reframe the conversation, especially around you know, technology startups. And it's just not, it's not about how much money you raise. It's how much money you make. Um, like that's, that's what needs to be important. So we both grew up on the beaches of the Florida panhandle. And the more episodes of this show I do, the more I realize truly how many of the greatest minds and disruptors in hospitality come from the same area of the country. Tell us a little bit about what it's like to grow up and work where other people vacation. Oh man, to be honest with you, when I was growing up and so my we lived in well, I mean we kind of we moved around a lot, but all like Sandestin's always kind of been home for me. My parents have been homeowners here since the early 80s, so you know my dad's been here for most of that time. And growing up here wasn't awesome because I had to make new friends every week. I didn't go to school here. I went to I went to school like kind of all over the place, starting in elementary school, middle school, high school, all different places. And so I spent, I was here every summer and, but I had to make new friends every week, you know, because people would come in on Saturday, they leave on Saturday. And so I think part of that actually kind of shaped me as an adult to be able to have conversations with anyone, you know, be able to meet someone and, and, and become friends with them, you know, really, really quickly. You grew up in hospitality. Your dad was a general manager and then later ran a bunch of big hospitality companies. And I'm wondering if when you were growing up, if you thought to yourself, I never want to be in this business, or if you thought to yourself, I definitely want to be in this business. Like what were the what did you see as the pros and cons of a career in hospitality based on watching your dad's career? Yeah, I, you know, I thought about this a little bit. And you know, the pros were being an executive for a hotel company when we traveled. Like it was awesome. We always had <laughs> yes. the presidential suite of the hotel. We had the best food, you know, like because all these general managers are trying to take care of each other, right? Yes. It's like when chefs go out to dinner, same thing. It was unbelievable, you know, like I can, you know, now traveling uh, and being in the hospitality business now, like I'm getting a lot of that because, you know, we work with some of the greatest hotel brands in the world and in hospitality, you know, people take care of hospitality people. And so that's awesome. But I would also say the cons are are very similar in that like I got addicted or I'm, I would say I'm still I'm addicted to the travel, right? Like I love it. I love being on the road. I love, you know, seven course meals at Nobu and Miami Beach. I love, you know, like it's just, you know, I, I really, really enjoy that being on the road, but it's not, you know, my wife doesn't love it, you know, so and so it's like, it's a pro and a con, right? And just being really intent. So like, like with Beachy and how we were an early stage startup and, you know, kind of grown out of that, you know, now it's being super intentional with my time and not being, 
on the road all the time, but, but certainly taking advantage of the times that I do get to travel. Gotcha. Any favorite places to go? So I've said this a few times now. I think that living in the Florida Panhandle, like Miami has always been, I mean, like it's, it's like yin and yang, right? I mean, Miami yes. and, and the Florida Panhandle could not be more different. I'm a big food, like I love a you know, big foodie. And, and I think that Miami today is the number has to be, in my opinion, the number one culinary destination in the United States. Oh, that's really interesting. So there's something really interesting in your career that came before Beachy, which is that you founded and sold another company when you were in college. I think you founded it in college, sold mm-hmm. it afterward. So mm-hmm. basically, you're a serial entrepreneur. Can you talk a little bit about your first company and maybe some of the lessons from that experience that you brought forward into your next startup? Yeah. So... um I, I started a rogue, what I would consider a rogue moving company in college. Um, <laughs> you know, we didn't follow any of the rules and, and certainly, um, you know, didn't have the right licensing and everything else, but we were good at marketing. So, um, and then turned it into a real company, um, you know, shortly, you know, right after college was in Nashville, Knoxville, Memphis, Birmingham, Louisville, and, you know, had a great business, you know, moving personal, you know, household good shipments around the country and then eventually around the world was certainly an adventure and, and a big challenge. And, uh, and then I you know, sold that company, worked, worked, for, worked for those guys for, for almost five years afterwards, and then came up with the idea to start Beachy. And it was pretty obvious from the minute that I thought of this idea that I was obsessed with what Beachy could become one day. But my, uh, I would say it was most of the things I learned being a 22-year-old CEO were all around people. Um, and people management and making so many mistakes because I was so arrogant or just like, you know, an arrogance, maybe not the right word, but like I was overly confident in my abilities. And I felt like I'd been groomed to be a CEO my whole life. Both my parents were, you know, entrepreneurs and owned their own businesses. And, but like, you know, I, what I didn't learn is how to take care of people. And I think that's one of the things that I'm most proud of at Beachy is the team that we've assembled. That's really important to me and something that has, you know, really taken hold, I think, in me in the last few years and something that certainly wasn't a priority when I was 22, 23, 24 <laughs> years old. Well, it wasn't before you were a dad. So you started Beachy after an annoying experience on, I guess, your first vacation as a dad. What happened? Tell me about that. So my daughter was born and my parents had come up to Nashville to, to meet her, but we hadn't like, I hadn't gone to my town. Like, and I would like Destin, the Destin area, like, you know, it's kind of my town, right? It's where I you know, grew up here. And, and, but I'd been in Nashville. I mean, we ended up being in Nashville for like 15 years. So, you know, Sophie's born and, and we're, we're planning our first beach vacation and we're staying at West Winds, which is inside of San Destin at the beach that I worked at when I was 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. And I'm like so stoked to take my little girl back to my hometown, take her to my beach, like and and I know I, I know how this whole thing works. And I remember I, you know, I woke up super early, yeah, you know, like take her down to the beach, and then you know, I want to get chairs, commercial beach chairs from the guys at West Winds. And by the time like standing in line, waiting, it was this whole thing, it was a joke. I mean, the way that they were running the beach, you know, I was 30 years old. I started working there when I was 14. Like it was literally, they were using, I think like the exact same paper chart, like nothing had <laughs> changed. And 
you know, after like by the time we got chairs and like sat down, and it was time for Sophie to go up and like eat or change her diaper or whatever. You know, it was just a really bad, like really, really bad first day of vacation. And what's crazy is we run into beaches all the time that that still run this way. So, you know, the initial idea was why can't I book my beach chair the same way I book my airline seat, the same time I make my hotel reservation. And as we looked around in the market and talking to a bunch of different people, that product just really didn't exist. There had never been a product built specifically for for beach operations, beach vendors, and just the you know the unique things that they needed to to run their beach and pool operations. So, what were the steps between having the idea, having that brainstorm, and then actually building the app? Like, I know you mentioned earlier, you had to hire a coder, a dev, because you didn't know how to do it yourself. What else went into that mix? So, I I walked from somewhere in Alabama beaches all the way to Panama City. I don't know, it's like probably 100 miles of beaches, just talking to beach vendors, talking to the owners of the beach service companies talking to hotel guests, talking to, you know, anyone that would talk to me about Beachy. Yeah, I did the same thing. I walked from Deerfield to South Beach, which is probably, I don't know, 60 miles or so. You wouldn't know it like looking at me now, but it was just having a lot of conversations of talking to anyone I could talk to about this idea. So you recently rolled out mapping technology that I think has allowed you to change or grow the services you offer to encompass food and beverage. Can you explain what that means? Like, What is the mapping technology and why is it important? Yeah. So why is it important? So if you think about you know beach pool operations, when you rent beach chairs, when you rent pool chairs, or you sit down in a beach chair, sit down in a pool chair... You know, those aren't necessarily set up the same way every day. They move around. And so, you know, how your layout starts is probably not how your how your map at the end of the day or your layout at the end of the day is going to end. And so when we sat down, we thought about the problem, like what do guests want while they're on vacation? And they want to eat and they want to drink and they want to have a great time, right? I mean, like they've saved all year or sometimes multiple years, you know, for this one week of vacation. And so we, you know, we integrated with all the legacy point of sale systems to deliver on a better guest experience at beaches and pools by building a point of sale that is made specifically for cocktail servers at beaches and pools. So when your cocktail server walks up to you, they know your name, right? Because you've rented the chairs, right? Super important. Like, hey, Susan, how you doing? Can I get you something to drink? And you're like, hey, weirdo. Like, how'd you know my name? You know? Um, uh, but hey, yeah, hey, weirdo. Hey, hey, Susan. Yeah, can I get you something to drink? And then we know information on the guest, right? Because we're integrated with all the different PMS systems. And so like we're gathering information on guests, you know, just like they'll put in notes, like it's their birthday, it's an anniversary, you know, whatever. And so if you think about the cocktail server now walks up to you with an iPad, hey, Susan, can I get something to drink? Yeah, I want a strawberry daiquiri. They hit submit. And now that prints back into the right kitchen or the right bar, wherever that needs to come out of. And the food runner knows exactly where to bring that food and beverage. Is it like a little tag on the chair or how does that work? No, one of the fun things that I never thought I would get to say never was never something like a goal of mine, but we've been able to patent all of our mapping technology. So we have Mm -hmm. issued patents. They're not pending patents. We actually have issued patents. So Um, what you're saying is you can't tell me the details because it's patented. Well, no, no. We could go into all the details and get super technical. And and like, I'm not the right person to 
to get into the nitty gritty. I just, I just know that it works. How about that? Got um, it. So you didn't, I'm just asking, like you didn't order those little no, no, Apple no. tracking no, those are not nearly those attach are not, them to all the chairs. Those aren't nearly accurate enough. And so, um, you know, GPS is only good to within like six meters or I don't know what the actual number is. I'm making that up. Um, but it's, it's not nearly accurate enough. And so it's funny. I mean, I can tell you so many stories of watching cocktail servers walk up and down the beach going like, David, David, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, Hey, I'm over here, you know? And they're like, Oh, you know, and now there just isn't any of that. Hey there. We're going to take a quick break here. When we return, David tells us what it was like to catch an entire school of square grouper off the coast of Florida. Be right back. Top floor is supported by SiteMinder. In an online world that never sleeps, you can't afford to be off ever. So how do you keep rooms full, guests raving, costs down, and staff happy? SiteMinder is the world's leading hotel commerce platform that provides hoteliers like you with the tools you need to sell, market, manage, and grow your business, all from a single dashboard. It's technology without the need to be super techie, intelligence without the detective work, and simplicity without leaving anything out. To learn more about how SiteMinder can help your hotel grow online, visit siteminder.com forward slash top floor. We like to make sure that our listeners come away from every episode of Top Floor with a couple of really specific practical tips that they can try either in their businesses or in their lives. As regular listeners know, my sister, Kat Meek, owns a beachside snack shop. So David, I've been trying to sell her your app and she has some questions for you. So these are straight from the horse's mouth. The first one is... How do you manage checking IDs for alcohol? Yeah, so the, I think a common misconception about Beachy is that we've built the product, you know, as a consumer-facing app, and so people hear app and they automatically think it's consumer-facing, and it's it's not. So nothing that we do is, is consumer-facing. It's built for cocktail servers. So nothing changes in their day-to-day operation, right? But instead of going out writing down strawberry daiquiri on a pad and then taking like then taking Susan's order and then taking um your sister's order and then the next order and then you know eventually making their way back to a legacy point of sale and entering all that information in. Now, you know, your cocktail servers stay on the beach, they never leave their service area and they're they're always, you know, they're with you. They're attending to you on like we say we're attend- the cocktail servers are attending to you on your terms, your timeline. And so, you know, checking for ID is the same way that they've been checking for ID, you know, forever, right? Um, they're just, you know, the cocktail server is going to be asking for it. And we feel very strongly about empowering servers, right? Giving servers technology to make their lives better. And I say this a lot, you know, building technology for cocktail servers is really important to me. Like I go to a five-star hotel and see a QR code while I'm, you know, and knowing the only way I'm going to get food and beverages is if I get out of the pool, get out of the water go get my phone, scan a QR code. And then I'm like, well, I want chicken salad, but I don't want onions and I want to add olives. You know, it's just like... And you have no faith that any of those special requests are going to come through because who knows if they're reading the notes section, right? Sure. And then it's like, well, I want another drink, but like now I'm building a sandcastle with my kids. Like, am I really going to like stop, go get my hand? You know, it's like, no. But if, you know, Angela, who's who I, I, I use the word Angela because she was 
one of the best cocktail servers I've had at the Ritz Carlton in, uh, in Naples, like Angela came over and she's like, Hey David, do you want another drink? I'm like, yes. And it just makes the experience so much better to, you know, especially, you know, when she knows my name, right? Like I don't have to go find a credit card or like verify room information ever again. Like everything's already done because now recreation and food and beverage are working together on one platform. And that's something that just had never been done before. So you said something about taking orders on the beach. And that actually leads to another question, which is what happens if the Wi-Fi signal isn't strong enough or I don't know, Wi-Fi goes out? Like, How does Wi-Fi work on the beach? Yeah, it's funny. Um, Wi-Fi doesn't work on the beach. And so <laughs> um, like, I was actually at the Lowe's in Miami Beach and talking to them about their Wi-Fi um, because they're trying to use tablets that would be a competitive product to Beachy that only work on Wi-Fi. And they're like, yeah, we actually tried pulling the chairs back from the water closer to the hotel. And then if you go out and you go left, you go right, you can only get to the first three chairs before you lose Wi-Fi signal. And I'm like, oh, that's that's not good. So like everything at Beachy is built has been built, you know, from the ground up on iOS, you know, on Apple products to run on 5G. The legacy point of sale players are not they they don't have the capability capability of running on 5G. They're all dependent on Wi-Fi, and they all use the, these Windows tablets. Which yeah, I'm not sure how many of your friends are running around with Windows tablets, but um, I didn't I don't, know that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, supposedly I don't know. You know, it's, it's funny. I I was at one of our great hotel customers last week, and they used us for our beach chair product. You know, reserving chairs, reserving umbrellas. And we're trying to convince them to go with us with our food and beverage product and like how using the two together could really just make a huge impact. And they're like, well, we made, and they're like, we made such a huge investment in the, in these micros tablets that like, you know, we feel like we just have to keep giving them a shot. So I'm on property and I'm walking around and I'm trying to find someone using a micros tablet because I've never actually seen one in the wild. And it took me an hour and a half to find one. And then I found them in the manager's office with like bags of chips and piled on top of like, you know, you could tell they've been, I mean, they're covered, you know, there's dust on, like you could tell they've been there uh, like for a long You found time. the tablets, yeah. not the person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the person's under bags of chips. No. What do you mean? <laughs> no, yeah, we found the tablets under, you know, under, but like IT had no idea. You know, IT's like, they're great. We love them. You know, and then you actually talk to the end user and the cocktail servers are like, if you give me that tablet again, I'm going to whack you in the face with it. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so yeah, so giving them a product that actually works, you know, and, and that's actually probably one of the biggest things, like hardest things for us to sell is is the like legacy players haven't figured this out. I mean, like the oracles of the world haven't figured this out. What makes you like? Why do you think you figured it out? And then and so we, you know, end up giving our product away to our customers for free. Just say, just here it is. Like we'll install it. We'll give you all the equipment, everything you need. We won't charge you a dime for it. Anyway, and you know, go, let's do a side by side comparison. And if you if you decide to go with the other system, then we'll just come pick our iPads up. And you know, we've been fortunate enough to never have to go pick up iPads from from anyone. So we have reached the fortune telling portion of the show. Now's the time we're going to do a little predicting of the future, so we can you know come back and see if we were right later. What is a prediction that you have for the future of hospitality? A future prediction that I have for hospitality. So I think that. 2021 was the high point of where things are going to be for a little while. I think that we're the hospitality industry is facing some headwinds, um, especially, you know, the, the ability to hire, you know, it just seems like, you know, my brother owns seven restaurants um, in the Florida Panhandle and 
you know, walking into one of his restaurants, you know, you can now make $20 an hour um, versus two or three years ago, that would have been, you know, maybe nine or $10 an hour. And so I think that, yeah, I, I, I do think we're, we're going to face some headwinds. I think that 2021 will be the high bar of hospitality for, for a long time, you know, coming out of COVID, um, everyone was looking to get on the road um, and, and be somewhere. But I think that what we learned and, you know, I was, I mean, 08 was, seems like forever ago. I think I was like, a little, I think I was in high school. Um, and, but, but to now is that people are going to travel. People want to travel. People want to not be home. You know, they want to take that one trip every year. And I think that drive destinations are going to continue to thrive. And I think that what I would, what I say, fly destinations like the Miami beaches and the Fort Lauderdale's and the Naples and the Marco Islands of the world are going to struggle um, because people get in their car and they'll drive. And I don't think they're necessarily going to going to take the time to to go get on airplanes and and take that trip. What about you? What is next for you? And what's next for your company? Uh, you know, we're just keeping our head down and taking it one day at a time, focusing on today. But you know, when I you know when I take the time to look at a couple of years, you know, we've got a really strong plan and presence for going overseas. You know, we've got a lot of hotel companies that are big chains that are, you know, have a lot of international destinations that are, you know, taking us into different countries, um, which is really exciting for us. Um, you know, I'll be spending a lot of time in the Caribbean and, and overseas over the next couple of years, you know, taking our product to those, oh, to those markets. Um, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, I know. Four and five star hotels and, and, foreign, <laughs> and foreign destinations. That sucks. The two fastest growing segments of our business actually don't have anything to do with beach and pool. Um, it's banquets and golf. Uh, so like we're being used as a, you know, if you think about like running a banquet event, IT finds out on Friday, hey, we've got a cash bar banquet event for 500 people. And they're trying to run out like power and ethernet and like all this stuff to run like an, an entire terminal. They're using us because now it's taking an iPad, setting on the stand and, I, and now your cash bar is set up. You know, same thing with beverage carts, you know, like on golf courses, you know, the card attendant, you know, is, is not on paper anymore, you know, taking your credit card back to the clubhouse. They now have an iPad that's running on 5G. They can, you know, they take down all your information or they're not taking down our information and they're running it in real time, you know, real time guests looked up, real time guests, you know, room charges, real time member charges. And so, you know, we see a huge, huge uptick in that part of our business. I mean, we're actually signing customers now that are only using us for golf or only using us for banquets and, you know, Beachy's grown from being in like five, seven state, five, six states. Um, so now we're in, you know, 30 states. So that's, that's been a, a huge, uh, something we didn't anticipate. Okay, folks, before we tell David goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. David, what is a story you would only tell on the loading dock? So I have a lot of these stories. Um, and I tried to think of, you know, some, some the dirtiest uh, one to tell me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't, I don't think I can tell you those. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I think one of the, one of the craziest things that's happened to me, I was down in Southeast Florida. Not, I won't give an exact destination. I don't want to get anybody in trouble. And where I'm on the beach is hanging out with the beach guys and we see something floating in the water and we're not sure what it is. And so like, we kind of wade out. And we start dragging, like, I, I mean, I don't, it was, it was big, like this, this thing floating in the water. We bring it back to the beach and we figure out it is an entire shipment of cocaine. I mean, like, stop a, it. Like, very significant shipment of cocaine. That doesn't happen 
anymore, I thought. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? The cool thing about it, I mean, I don't, the cool thing about it was <laughs> the, um, it was all branded Gucci. Like it wasn't actual Gucci, right? But like that's right? just the, the, like the brand name on the street for this cocaine was like the Gucci cocaine. Which <laughs> what I in the world? Yeah, like, what did it guessing. look like on the outside so I can keep my eyes peeled? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, I mean, it was just basically like really well, like, you know, put together like bricks of, I mean, like they call them bricks of cocaine. Like that uh-huh. was what it was. I, didn't, I have no idea how much cocaine it was. But the best part of the story is I'm like, all right, guys, like, we need to call the police. Like we need to like, and all the beach guys are like, we are not calling the police. Like this will all be gone by the end of the week. Like, don't worry about it. And I'm just oh, like, oh my goodness. Uh, I'm like, no, no, I really think we should call the police. Like, I don't need this on my conscience. Like, I don't, you know, and all of them are like, David, if you call the police, like we'll kill you. Um, and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, like. I'm out of here, guys. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go home. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think I was on the next flight out. Um, But yeah, that's that was that was a pretty wild day. Um, Oh, my goodness. I wish it had been cocaine money and not (laughs) cocaine because you there's a lot more options with uh, bricks of cash. David Stanch, thank you so much for being here. I know our listeners are going to be excited to learn about Beachy. And I really appreciate you riding up to the top floor with us. Yeah, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 49. Top Floor is produced by John Albano, who also composed and performed our elevated elevator music with vocals by Cameron Albano. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode. 